Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Mark, chapter 2, the second gospel, the book of Mark, chapter 2. As we continue to look at uh, Jesus gathering his disciples, we're going to begin reading today in verse number 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and the multitude came to him, and he taught them. Uh, a venue that was con opening up for the Lord more and more was, uh, was open-air campaigning. Actually, there's an organization in our country called the Open Air Campaigners. Numbers of reasons. Jesus was being excommunicated from the synagogue. Uh, the Son of God was being excommunicated from the Church of God, the synagogue. And so he was finding more and more that he had to preach outside. Another reason, of course, is the crowds were growing and growing because they knew he had a lot to say. And so he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Gospel of Mark is, uh, is an interesting one. It's believed, of course, to be written by a character whose name is John Mark. Remember, he joined the first missionary party of the apostle Paul and Barnabas, his uh, helper. And he went along on the missionary partner uh, enterprise as a helper you know, helpers are really needed in the ministry, and Paul and Barnabas thought they had a good one until Acts 13, verse 13, John Mark decided to leave them. He just departed. He left the party. But he came back. Barnabas put his arm around him on the second journey and uh, befriended him and gave him another chance. Paul was unwilling to do that. And so they had this contention in Acts chapter 15. They had a an ar spiritual argument, I guess you'd call it. And Paul said, listen, he's not going with me. He departed on the first journey. He doesn't, it, one strike, he's out in my organization. Barnabas said, listen, I'll put him under my arm. I'll take him, he'll go with me. Barnabas rescued him. Uh, it teaches us a good lesson. You can never call someone out, you know, that in the Lord's work. You look around at your friends and other people and you say, boy, I'll tell you what, I don't think they're going to make it. Well, don't ever say that. Uh, because somebody like Barnabas may just come along and surprise you and take them under their arm, and they may do quite well. And John Mark did quite well also. This chapter here, or this book of Mark, is the Gospel of the Servant. It correlates with the four faces of the angels, the cherubim, mentioned in Revelation chapter 4 and Ezekiel chapter 1. And the face that depicts the Gospel of Mark is the face of an ox. Jesus here in the book of Mark is depicted as a man of action, a servant. Nothing stronger than an ox. 
And Jesus so comes uh, as a servant to show you and me that he is a man of action. So here in our story for today, he's calling another disciple to be with him. He needs disciples. Luke chapter 6 verse 40 says that the culmination of a disciple-making person is this. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So Jesus is training his disciples to be just like him. Uh, he chose, as we saw before earlier, four fishermen already. They were the sailors, and that was a good choice. They knew how to work hard, and they knew how to face disappointment. But now things were changing, and he's calling more people to help him. And here we find that he calls a tax collector. Uh, I, I think that probably the four fishermen that uh, Jesus called earlier knew this tax collector, uh, there he is. You see the sea is in behind him. It is said that the fish that were caught in the Sea of Galilee were all taxed. Maybe Levi was collecting the tax of the fish that had been caught in the Sea of Galilee. You know, you've heard before that you can't choose your spiritual brothers and sisters. And whenever the fishermen, prob what do you think they thought about whenever they found out that Jesus called the tax collector to be one of their team well, that would probably depress them because there was no one as hated as him. He was a traitor. Well, here we find before us this morning the conversion of Levi. Um, he was, in some of the older translations, we have the word publican. Do you remember reading that? Not republican, publican. And that was an ancient word. It goes back all the way to the first translation of the English Bible uh, with Wycliffe back in the late 1300s. He translated the English Bible into English from the Latin Vulgate. But he brought that Latin word over, that's a Latin word, uh, publicanus. And uh, since that time, other translations have given it to us in a more modern term, and that's tax collector. It's amazing uh, how hated this man was, Levi or Matthew. He was the most hated man in the town. Uh, he worked for Rome. He was a traitor. Uh, you can imagine, uh, they, they looked at him as the scum of the earth. And uh, there are a number of reasons why they hated him. So, first of all, of course, he was a traitor. Uh, another thing is he overcharged them. They had great power. As long as they filled their quota or their allotment of the taxes, they could charge, they could take off of people whatever they wanted. And they did. They did it well. Another reason why they hated him so much is the fact that he was one of the richest men in town. Years ago, the old country preacher from West Virginia, B.R. Lakin, how many remember him? B.R. Lakin, okay. B.R. Lakin uh, used to say that there's only one way to have somebody not say something about you. That's to have nothing, to do nothing, and to say nothing. If you have nothing, you do nothing, and you say nothing, nobody will put you down. But Levi, he had something. He had money. And a lot of times people are very jealous of people with money. You know that? They really are. And uh, especially if it's ill-gotten gain, and that's, what, that's the way he was getting his money. B.R. Lakin used to have another line, too. He said, if you weren't born in West Virginia, you needed to be born again. 
And he always, he always got a, a rise from the congregation out of that. Well, Jesus reached out and offered this most hated man in town his friendship. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Can I have an amen? amen. You know, always remember that. You know, whenever we uh, accept Jesus as our Savior and we clean up our life, sometimes we get uh, too sanctimonious. Uh, and uh, we forget that we're sinners also, only sinners saved by grace. Well, here we have the invitation in verse number 14. Follow me. Remember before he said uh, to the four fishermen, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, whenever Jesus calls you and me to follow him, he always gives us what we need to follow him. A lot of times people are wrestling this. If I follow with Jesus, if I follow Jesus, will he make the way plain for me? Will he take care of me? Of course he will. Romans 8.32 is a, is a great verse that correlates with this. Let's read this together. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now the all things that the Lord has promised you and me are all things to complete the purpose for which he has called you. All things to complete the purpose for which he's called you. So whenever God calls you, he equips you. He provides your needs. Philippians 4.19 for my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A lot of times people, they try to weigh this out. You know, if I follow Jesus, uh, will, God, uh, will God work this whole thing out for me? He sure will. He sure will. He didn't call anybody that he wasn't willing to give them all the equipment that they need to follow him. The scripture simply says here, look at it in verse number 14, so he arose and followed him. You could say that uh, Levi burned his bridges. He knew if he followed Jesus, he couldn't keep ripping people off. In other words, he said, I'm going straight. In Luke's account, it says this, he left all. I want you to think of that. He left all. You know, when some people start to follow the Lord, they have to leave more than other people have to leave when they follow the Lord. Because some, some people are so ingrained and entrenched in this world and, and find their source of income from this world, I'll tell you, I think it's harder for them to leave, to rip up those tentacles. The Bible says here in Luke's account that he left all. What does that mean? That means that there were few of these jobs available and he wouldn't be able to go back if things didn't work out with Jesus. He actually gave up a lot more than the fishermen because if the fishermen failed to fish for men, they could always go back and fish for fish. They always had something to fall back on. Levi said, listen, I know if I walk away from this job, I'm never gonna get one like this again because these are few and far between. The scripture says he left all. What a touching thing that Amber just told us about the Egyptian girl. She's willing to lay her life on the line to leave it all for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I hear people, I've heard people through the years tell about how much they give up to follow Jesus. It sounds good in a testimony, but it's just not true. 
Have you ever been to a meeting and somebody says, well, you know, I, I was this, and they try to impress you with what they have or what they've done or where they've been, and, and then they turn their back on it, and everybody says, oh, isn't it wonderful? Boy, they gave up so much. Well, we know that uh, whenever you follow the Lord, you get something much bigger than, when you get, than what you give up. Uh, the Lord has a bigger calling than anything that this world can ever provide for us. You know, missionaries have left us with so many great quotes. January 8th, 1956, remember the story of the five missionaries that died on the beach in Ecuador. Nate Saint, of course, was one of them. He wrote earlier in his life these words, people who do not know the Lord, unsaved people, ask why in the world did we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when their bubble burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they've wasted. Everybody's bubble is going to burst. Every one of us at the end of our lives, it's gone. Then what? What do we spend our lives for? What do we pour ourselves out for? What do we give ourselves to? He says this, having a full life is not necessarily a long life. He said, I want to end I want the end of my life to say that I fulfilled the purpose of God. And he did. He died January the 8th, 1956, as a Christian martyr in Ecuador. Well, he got to do what he wanted to do. And now our church and other churches like our church are building on the foundation that he laid down in Ecuador. Our church is really involved there in the very same ministry that Nate Saint laid his life down for. Well, one thing that uh, Matthew did take away from his job, he didn't leave exactly all. I think he took his pen and he wrote the book of Matthew. Uh, the next thing we see in verse number 15 is the celebration of Levi. Uh, one commentator said that this could have been a going away party for his friends. Uh, but he, I, it was more than that. He was drawing his friends together to meet Jesus. Uh, he had a whole network of friends. And this is the way it's supposed to work when we come to Christ. When we come to Christ, our first impulse should be to include our friends in the gift of eternal life as well. We should never get over the fact that we're saved. We should never get over the fact that our friends need Christ. And so what is he doing? He's inviting his friends to meet Jesus. What a difference Jesus makes in the home. You know, I believe that Jesus can transform every home. And there are some homes here in our church represented today that he's transformed. Elizabeth Elliot. Remember, she wrote Through Gates of Splendor. She was the widow of Jim Elliot, another one of the missionaries that died in Ecuador. Um, she, tells, she tells about her growing up years. You know, growing up years are important in homes, and this is what she said. She said, I came from a Christian home where every morning we knew that our father was on his knees somewhere between 4.30 and 5 in the morning. He stayed there until breakfast time. When breakfast was over, we all went into the living room. We sang a hymn, one hymn per day, skipping none of the stanzas. Then my father read the Bible to us. We all knelt to pray. He did the praying. 
until we came to the Lord's Prayer, and then we all recited the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, she grew up in a home like that, and God laid his hand upon her to be the wife of a Christian martyr. Jesus has transformed many homes for a long time. Remember the story of Cornelius? Cornelius was seeking God, and God sent Peter to him in Acts chapter 10. Well, Cornelius went out, and he brought in all his relatives and close friends uh, so that they could hear the gospel by Peter. Remember the story of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas are out preaching and they were in jail and they were singing at night and God performed a jailbreak and, and the Philippian jailer said to them, what must I do to be saved? And uh, they said back to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. And they went to the Philippian jailer's household and the Bible says in Acts 16.33, the whole family was baptized. They were all saved and baptized. Well, you know, Jesus was teaching a, a parable, I remember, about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Uh, whenever we come to Christ, uh, what I'm saying to you today is we need to have a party. We need to celebrate. And Jesus, I think, uh, implies this very strongly when he gave those parables. Uh, remember the story of the lost sheep. The shepherd went out and he brought the one back and, and he was so excited. And in Luke 15, 7, he says this. Let's read it. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Whenever somebody repents, there's joy in heaven. Isn't that a terrific thing? And these are the words of Jesus right here. And so, you know, I've seen people tell another person, oh, you know, this person got saved, and they say, oh, okay. You know, it wasn't the right reaction. And whenever somebody comes to the Lord, I'll tell you, it's time to rejoice. Jesus said, listen, when somebody comes to the Lord in this life, heaven rejoices. And then he, then he uh, tells that little story about the lost coin. Uh, the lady had 10 coins and she lost one. She was frantic. She turned the house upside down, inside out. Have you ever done that when you've lost something? Uh, more and more, I'm losing things all the time. <laughs> uh, I'm always telling my mom, asking my wife, honey, where's the keys? <laughs> she says, why don't you put them in the same place? You know, I mean, none of you people have that trouble, do you? Uh, and, but sometimes I lose these things and I grow I'd be almost mentally insane trying to find it. I mean, it drives me crazy. And, and if you go to the book of Luke, that woman lost that coin. She turned the house upside down. And whenever she found that coin, uh, she invited her friends in and had a party. She called her friends and her neighbors. And look at what Luke 15.10 says. Let's read it. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so the Lord is saying, listen, you get all excited in your house when you find your keys or your cell phone. You get all excited. It's like you almost have a party. And he says, listen, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of angels 
over one sinner that repents. Let's get excited about the right thing. And then the story of the lost son. That's a touching story. You know, that's kind of almost a hard story to even read. And uh, when the lost son came home to his father, I'll tell you what, he, he declared a party, right? Luke 15, 32 says this. Let's read it. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother who was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What am I saying to you today? When somebody comes to Christ, let's have a party. Now, I was giving this message last night at church on our Saturday evening service. And I looked out at our service, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like preaching to the choir here. These people, most, I, I thought in my mind, these people have been saved for a long time, so they probably won't be having a party now, a belated party. And I'm thinking, well, this is not too applicable. But I forgot in my teaching and preaching that there was a man sitting right there where you are, Linda. Would you raise your hand? Right there. A man, he came into church last night. Two Lindas. Both, both of you responded. He came into church last night. And when he came into church last night, this is what he said. I just had to come to church tonight. I just had to come to church tonight. And I forgot that he was sitting there. And I was giving this same message. And after the service, we went back to my office. And he invited Jesus into his heart last night. And I thought, you know, what I was giving last night was applicable to him because he just received the Lord. And I think the guy is going to have a party, just like I said. And I said last night, if you have a party, invite me and I'll be the speaker at your party. And after he accepted the Lord in my office, he said, you know, I want you to speak at my party. Holy cow. God somehow put that together. You never know who you're speaking to. So what I'm expecting today is for some of you people that haven't been saved very long to go home and have a party. Bring your friends together. Make a public declaration that you're a follower of Jesus and have somebody, maybe you could do it yourself. There's nothing as powerful as your own personal testimony. Just tell them your story. Give them a chance too. Look at what happened here at this one. Now, I know there was a special speaker here at this one, the Lord. And the Bible says here, many of those people followed him. The kind of people that followed him, this was a scandal. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were incensed that Jesus would reach down so low and have fellowship with these people. But he is a friend of sinners. Why would this happen? Well, um, these people were strict law keepers. They couldn't have fellowship with these people. They'd be contaminated. They didn't realize that they too will always be a breaker of the law. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. And so they were law keepers or, or breakers. And Jesus uh, explained what he was doing to them. He says, listen, uh, in effect, in verse number 17, he said, sinners are my mission field. And uh, I want you to remember this continually. 
And we have to keep reminding ourselves of this. Sinners are our mission field. They are the people for whom Christ died. Uh, we can't become aloof from them. Uh, we are only sinners saved by grace. Uh, you know, so many churches build their little isolated worlds. And, uh, and we ask people, listen, if you come up here on the hill, we'll help you. I, I don't think God is really all that interested in that. I think that whenever we're dismissed this morning, God sends his family out into the world to help the world. Evangelist C.T. Studd said one time, some want to live within the sound of the church or chapel bell. I want to set up a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Now that should be our, our goal. Not to, not to form our little sanctimonious group up here on the hill, but to go out right there in the midst of the people and show them the friendship that Jesus showed tax collectors and sinners. And I'll tell you, if we show people honest friendship like that, they will come to Christ. You know, a doctor goes where he's needed to heal the sick. And whenever you came to Christ, God made you a doctor. You are a doctor wherever you go, on your job, throughout your day. There are all, these people are sick. And you have the answer. Let's use it, okay? Let's uh, use it so some people can have a party. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed in prayer today, let me ask you, have you ever received Jesus as your Savior? Maybe you're like that guy that came to church last night and said, you know, I just had to come. I just had to come. He had a divine appointment. He was ready to open his heart to Christ. Maybe you're there today. Maybe, maybe you're ready. Maybe you've, maybe you've gone to church, but you've never come to Christ. You've never opened your life to Christ, embraced him, turned away from your sin, and turned to Christ for your soul's salvation. Right now, from the bottom of your heart, you could come to him in your seat. You don't have to. You don't, have to, you don't need anything else. You can make your, your heart your altar and invite him into your life. I encourage you to do that today. Dear Lord, as we come to the end of the service uh, this morning, we pray that you'll move in among us, Lord. We're going to sing the last song now. Give us freedom and liberty to come and pray at the altar if we need to today uh, for ourselves or for our friends. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.